It's me, Asad Hashmali, back again with another episode of Behind the Grind. And this time, we've got Nabil Siddiqui with us. Nabil, how are you? Hi, Asad. Thanks for having me on the show. My pleasure. So, Nabil, the reason why I called you on this time uh, to this uh, episode was because when I saw you go live with your startup, that was actually my first exposure to the world of startups, and that too in Pakistan. And that's where I heard of Nest.io. And I found out that, you know, there's a whole other world out there of business that I just didn't know about, right? But for everyone who's listening, for everyone who's watching, um, Nabil is the founder, is one of the co-founders of uh, the startup called Modulus Tech, which builds um, housing for IDP. And they basically don't just make houses for IDPs or internally displaced people. They make houses and um, accommodation spaces, if you will for all walks of life, for all sorts of people as well. And this started off because of the Syrian uh, refugee crisis in 2016. Did I get that right, Nabil? Yeah, absolutely. So that was the inspiration behind the company. Now we're working in sustainable housing overall, um, globally, not just in Pakistan. Um, our primary markets are now affordable housing, uh, but also some tiny houses and some uh, tourism projects. Interesting. Great, great. So. How about you, let's start off with you actually sharing some context as to what is Modulus Tech, um, briefly about the, the starting phases, because what I want to understand uh, is actually what the go-to market phase was like for Modulus Tech. Four years ago, things were very different, the landscape was very different. So, over to you, like what were, what were some challenges? Yeah, so, honestly, it started off as a technological innovation uh, more than anything and then we thought okay let's commercialize this because this is this has a lot of potential to create impact um, so we created a housing technology that makes it very quick to set up houses but more importantly very sustainable and cost effective um, which was a game changer for that segment market segment because normally when you consider sustainability uh, being incorporated into some products or especially housing it becomes really really expensive uh, so that's something we were really good at uh, doing is coupling economic and environmental sustainability. So that's how we started off and we thought, okay, we've made the technology, it's going to solve huge problems and governments and clients would love to buy this. Uh, there were more problems to it. There were a lot of barriers. Uh, so just making the technology wasn't enough. We had to figure out the entire cycle of delivering the houses to the end consumer. Uh, so Initially, we uh, chased the governments um, and uh, these humanitarian agencies. And it was either too political or governments didn't have the kind of money or they didn't have the kind of vision uh, on how to do this properly. So after that, we went uh, and partnered with some investors who wanted to invest in Pakistan um, and elsewhere. And even with that, the problem in the end especially with respect to Pakistan was uh, how do you finance the end user uh, and how do you give investors that assurity that their money will be returned. Um, so we've really had to reinvent the cycle and look at this um, problem at a more holistic lens. So we've been able to solve a lot of challenges in that domain uh, thus far. Okay, so uh, you mentioned that you went to um investors that were willing to put in their money in this space, right? So, but how did you 
managed to identify those individuals because your idea was for a particular group of people, right? It was more impact oriented. How, who did you go to exactly? Like, so uh, there are investors who invest specifically in affordable housing locally, and uh, even when the government in Pakistan announced the Pakistan housing programs, there were some very specific groups uh, that wanted to invest 50, in 50,000 houses in Pakistan or other numbers. and there are quite a few people taking interest because it's a very uh, good market from that perspective. Um, but there is definitely a supply shortage and there's huge demand. So, so instead of chasing the government, who was still figuring out at that time on how to do this, uh, we went after those investors and they loved the technology. Um, and we were able to partner with one of those investors in Pakistan and we're doing our first project with them. Now, the problem there was that it's very easy to build houses for middle-income groups or higher-income groups, but what do you do about the bottom-income pyramid? Uh, so we're specifically targeting the bottom 40% income pyramid with our house because that's part of the vision of the company. And the issue was you cannot mortgage uh, housing to people who do not have salaried income uh, or who live on daily wages. So just a lot of challenges we faced in the in the whole uh, cycle of delivering houses. But mortgaging is a problem overall, right? In Pakistan, like I haven't really heard of any mortgage schemes as such for other income brackets. Do they exist over here? There have been with uh, HBFC, with a lot of banks, but uh, no, it hasn't caught on that much. Okay, so but. But now with the new policies, things have changed. Okay, all right. So the, the way you're putting it is that you have, a, you have a customer now who's kind of footing the bill, and you have an end user, right? Um, how do you, and maybe I'm jumping the gun over here, so clarify this a little bit for me as well. You, you see, you got investment to start um, building these houses as well for those that needed it or for, for, for the lower income uh, bracket families in Pakistan. Um, how do you fill in that gap of showing some kind of running finances and some kind of revenue generation over here? The ones that are investing uh, are really living in those houses and the ones that have to live in the houses can't afford that. That is the money. tricky part of this problem entirely. Um, so because of the involvement of mortgage companies now, this problem has been uh, quite easy to solve actually, uh, especially with the new policy of the government. So let's say we get uh, a project financed by an investor, we buy the land, we build the houses, uh, we find a mortgage company to finance those houses. The mortgage company now wants the families to live in those houses in order for them to mortgage. As soon as they find those families, they pay us all the money. We return that money to the investors, give them their profits. And uh, at the end of the day, the end user, which could be a family which has a household income of 40,000 rupees, um, is now able to afford a net zero energy house uh, at 15,000 rupees a month. And in, this, in a city like Karachi, that's how much they're paying in rent. So the entire thing works out it makes a lot of sense for the end user it makes sense for the investors it makes sense for us to do it um, so it's now started finding work out yeah. 
Okay. All right. Interesting. Interesting. So, coming to you guys in the early days, right? Like I, I, I find that part because you guys have been alive for four years now, right? Um, yeah. I find the initial steps the most interesting because now, like everyone goes back to the likes of Google and Facebook to seek inspiration from them, and even Airbnb. But you guys were in a very different space. You guys entered the hardware business. You guys didn't enter the, the tech yeah. space as, as such, right? Um, driving technology to innovate in the hardware space, yes, that's there. Um, but you're, a larger chunk of your investment of the capital that you raised would go towards those materials. What assumptions did you enter with? Uh, did you enter this startup with? And how did those assumptions change throughout? Like, Oh, gosh, so many. Uh, I think we've had a lot of pivots uh, with our strategy, especially. Um, so initially, like I've mentioned, we thought that making a technology would solve the problem. We'd be able to sell to governments. Figured out we had to solve the entire uh, problem in the in the industry in the uh, in this market segment as well. Um, second issue was, yes, it was hardware. Uh, we did have the chicken or the egg problems, getting investors, then you don't have enough sales to show. Um, and housing is something that takes a while uh, to start. Um, especially with hardware, you do need to do a lot of testing. Typically, a hardware company would test their product for three years and then launch. We launched before, uh, I think, six months we were into uh, like starting the company. product and that was your <laughs> Yeah, and we were very lucky. We were able to get some grants that helped us test that technology, but then we didn't have the luxury of testing that uh, product for the next few years. Uh, we had to start right away. Um, so we started doing everything that we could find initially. We did labor housing, we did schools, we did clinics, we did sanitation projects. Uh, but that also helped us refine the technology, and we were able to test that uh, our products in different environments based on that, which we might have not been able to do if we just stuck with housing. Um, so yeah, it worked out in the end. It was a long journey. It took some perseverance, um, but I think it worked out for the better. Um, and we were still we're still um, at a pace which is much faster than other hardware companies in terms of scaling and uh, testing the itself. Mm. So now that when I was going through your website, I saw that. Not only are these houses um, sustainable and uh, environment friendly, they I, there's a very interesting stat which I can't remember, but it's about how much you guys have reduced the carbon emissions in the past year, which I thought was pretty pretty cool as well. And then you guys have integrated with uh, the house being when I, when you when you guys say sustainability or sus that the house is sustainable you have a module to incorporate solar in there for water sanitation and for electricity as well, right? So how did, how did, was that like a pivot of some sorts for you guys? Or was that just more of a, you found a project, you thought that might as well experiment and let's add this on. Yeah. So the sustainability aspect has been there from the get go. Uh, but once we entered this market, we realized that, Developing countries like Pakistan, they don't have uh, water or en energy, uh, right? And if we wanted to provide proper living conditions to the end users, we needed both of those things. And the scale that we're looking at, if we, if, let's say, even a billion homes, we don't have enough water or energy in this country to provide them with. Um, 
so yeah, that's how the idea of introducing off-grid products and incorporating that within the technology came about. Um, so yeah, so like I mentioned, you really have to think about the entire long-term strategy with this. So, and as over the years now, also the product offerings changed, right? So, when so we've we, entered the tourism. Sorry, go ahead. After you, after you. Uh, yeah, so yeah, we've entered a couple of very interesting new markets. Uh, one of them that I really like and enjoy is the tourism space. So we're doing some projects up north. Uh, they're very unique, eco-friendly uh, tourist resorts. Um, and I personally like this project a lot because there's a lot of um, employment opportunities that we're creating um, for the locals over there. Um, another interesting space that we've started entering now is um, export products, especially more luxurious tiny houses. And we're doing our first exports to the US right now. Um, and that's also very exciting because um, uh, the products that we're creating use the same base structure, but they are. Um, Used for different applications, different environments, and they meet the US building codes. Uh, so that's been quite exciting for the team from a technology perspective. Um, and what all of this does is that it helps us further subsidize affordable housing in Pakistan. So that's uh, quite exciting. And with these new offers coming in as well, that means that um, you're getting, I'm assuming you're also getting more traction and more eyeballs as well. Right. So, uh, but with that expansion, I don't know, is this, are you at that scale where with that expansion, you kind of have to outsource different areas or maybe like streamline your entire, um, supply chain maybe, or your process. That's a, tell, tell me about that. Yeah. That's a very intelligent question. Um, yeah. So, uh, initially when we started out, we were manufacturing everything in house. Uh, that allowed us that allowed us to do a lot of R and D, um, and also test uh, different ways of manufacturing. And now we're creating some uh, trade secrets in the manufacturing process itself. Um, but now, uh, recently, we've had we've been gaining a lot of traction, um, especially after 2020. It's been going quite rapidly. Uh, we started outsourcing technology, and from being a very manufacturing intensive company, we've now become a very asset light uh, company that outsources manufacturing to different partners. Um, and that has sort of helped us scale really fast uh, this year. But has that given so, you... Yeah, we started off as a... <laughs> has that given you control what? though? Like, because you, if you outsource your manufacturing, then does that mean that uh, the margin of error goes higher? Because you're not the one implementing the tech on that, right? Yeah. That was our initial concern with um, the outsourcing manufacturing. Um, and we found some reliable manufacturers, but also we have supervisors who are constantly checking for quality, uh, working with those manufacturers. Um, we source the material ourselves. Um, and it works a, works a bit like the automobile sector, where we outsource different components of the house. So no manufacturers making the entire house themselves. Uh, they're doing what they're best at doing. Um, so that that helps us um, navigate through these problems. All right, interesting, interesting, cool. So, tell me a little bit about the scaling process as well. Like lately, I've been reading about blitz scaling, as I think 
every startup founder would have read about. But yeah. um, what's it like for you right now? What's the the chaos like, or the have you managed to make a very clear cut plan and a strategy that you're trying super hard to abide by, or is it just all over the place right now? <laughs> It's a bit of both. I will die if I told you everything's under control. It is difficult to scale, especially at this pace. Um, but um, no, it's going really well so far. Um, we've been able to deliver probably some time. We've been able to keep customers happy. And that's what's most important. Um, and the team is learning a lot. And now we're actually uh, looking to scale the team as well uh, in order to cater to the demand. So yeah, it's it is difficult and it is challenging, but it's a good challenge to have. Yeah. So, is there anything that's in the pipeline right now that might just be released in the in in the other in the second half of this year as well for you guys? Uh, so we'll be launching the Trozen project okay. uh, in a few months and the export products. Right. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. So, and I'm sorry, out of excuse my naivety as well, but for you guys, how does scaling, like when you, if, if you're expanding your team as well, what part of your team would a business like yours even be expanding towards considering manufacturing is outsourced as well. Um, and then the export side of things, I'm not really seeing the need for expansion in that team. Correct me if I'm wrong, but what, what areas are you focusing on in particular? So, yeah, there is uh, like a lot of demand, but we're looking uh, even further, we're looking at other countries. So there is a huge business development side of things that we want to work on. So focusing on places like Africa, but also uh, for the tiny home market, we're focusing at Australia in the long run. Um, we plan on creating a manufacturing software uh, that helps us license the technology. So imagine it having a 3d printer but you cannot use that 3d printer without our software so that helps us keep control over our manufacturers in the long run so so hiring is a bit on the tech side a bit on the product side as well and a bit on the business development side and then marketing sales uh, and then just um, project managers uh, to handle all these projects and work towards research as well so a bit of everything yeah sweet cool cool all right Coming back to uh, this this tourism project as well, um, and I understand that in a country like Pakistan, uh, you have you know tourism up north especially. It's a circular economy. It helps. Everyone saw the amount of revenue generated from Naran and Kagan right now during Eid. But um, when that first opportunity came your way, or when that when when someone you know kind of. I'm sure before the opportunity came, people must have suggested to you that why don't you expand in, in X industry or Y industry or like collaborate with the, the prefab industry and work in industrialization. Uh, sorry, not like and work in, in, in the factory model as well for different industries. Did you ever feel like you were kind of cheating yourself that you're going astray from the vision? Yeah. That is uh, another really good question. Um, yes, uh, because other markets that, that were available for our technology uh, were very easy, very easy to get into versus the one that our vision was towards. Um, and we didn't say no to um, different markets. We did work in them, but we kept our vision aligned somehow throughout the long run. Now, while 
the affordable housing space took us a while to figure out um, how to how to work around that. Um, we were working in other spaces, so the technology was being used, it was being tested, it was getting improved in that cycle. We didn't just sit back, um, and at the same time, we were reaching out to potential investors, uh, meeting those government officials, um, identifying the challenges in this in the affordable housing space as well, um, and then just working on solving those problems. So that all took a while, but in the meantime, we kept the business running uh, with these other projects. And yeah, a lot of other business opportunities that seemed very lucrative. Um, and now we start expanding into them as well. Um, but affordable housing would be our primary market in the long run. It's the biggest volume market for us as well. And that's still your North Star, like making sure yeah. the impact you wanted to generate does get generated. Yeah, but it also makes business sense. Um, the numbers that we're looking at in affordable housing won't be there in other markets. Uh, so in the long run, it still makes sense um, to stick to that North Star. Mm-hmm. Fair. Interesting. All right. So you and your, your buddies, you guys were from uh, NUST, right? NED. NED. Yeah, civil engineering. Civil engineering, yeah. Completely um, non-business background, right? Absolutely. Uh, how was it like, and considering that you were at, you, you your startup was incubated at Nest, um, how, how were those first interactions like for you? Because um, I'm not going to say that I am going into a conversation with an investor and trying to lay out a cap table as well and figure out what the term sheets should look like. But how is it like for you getting exposed to this whole new world that you probably, I don't know if you even thought about it, but what was it like? Honestly, like we were just really passionate uh, about doing this and solving this problem. We were very inexperienced and we were very nervous also that are we going to do this or not? And there were a lot of... um, risk for us at that point um but then we entered the space we were really lucky to have a great mentor like to, uh, to guide us through um and being very inexperienced i think we spent a lot of time just learning new things uh, about business about strategy about managing teams about culture um yeah so and we're still learning a lot of things but i think the initial two years we had a lot of learning then we had to do everything ourselves so, um, so yeah, it was definitely a challenge, um, but yeah, I think that my team has been really good at learning new skills, which has really helped us in this process. All right, right, right. And like, how do you think the space has evolved over time? Because like millions of dollars have come in, which I don't know is uh, either we were slow at acquiring all this all this funding from the West, or you know, it's now our time. I don't know. But um, how do you yeah. feel that the space has changed overall since you entered it? So when I entered the space, uh, getting a $100,000 investment was a huge deal. When you had made it as a startup. Um, and now I think getting a million dollars isn't that big of a deal. So I think it's great how the ecosystem is growing and investors have more confidence, especially all the foreign investors coming into Fox. And I think that's really really nice to see but do you think there's something that needs to change or something that needs to improve also in this space 
I would say collaboration between the investors and uh, stakeholders in the in the ecosystem themselves. Um, there seems to be a lot of competition, and I don't think uh, that's ideal for the ecosystem. I think we need to grow together um, and help each other. So that's what I would like to say. Interesting. Fair. Fair. So if you could, um, if you met some startup founders right now, like, is there something? Uh, do, do you mentor any like founders yourself? Not officially and not as an expert, but uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, What's that? But it's more of a discussion, just bouncing off ideas. You know? so, so you were saying something? But yeah, like what, what would you, is, is there some like suggestion or some piece of advice that you'd like to give to anyone who's planning to start something off themselves? I would tell them to really understand the business and have a great team before entering the market and not just uh, do that because startups are trendy or it's something that you think would be very cool, but something you can commit to in the long run and see yourselves working hard towards the next five, six, seven years. Um, so it's a long journey, it's a difficult journey. I think um, you need to be prepared for that. And yeah be ready to take it on that way. Fair. Cool, cool. And I'm have I always have this one question that yeah. I ask every guest, but I'm gonna ask that question after this one. Because I feel like you might be uh, you might have a very interesting take on this. Um, my observation of this entire uh, of this of this startup space or of for the lack of a better word for folks from our generation who are trying to set up a business or a startup or um, are even exploring the, the ecosystem as a whole, see it from a very la-di-da, sexy kind of uh, perspective. Um, whereas I feel that it's not always all, it's not rainbows and butterflies. There's a lot of hardships, a lot of challenges that come in along the way. Um, and I feel that if you are trying to get into, if you do want to you know, build your own business. Let's call it a business and not a startup just for a bit. Is if you do want to build something like that, then how are you going to build it to last? And uh, are you willing to get married to it as well? That's the way I see it. Do you have that same perspective? And I understand that exit strategies are important too. You have to like, you know, build it and then also know when to hand it over to someone else. But do you have a similar perspective in that regard? Or are you just like, you know, one business. Yeah, that's something I've really thought about and uh, I wish to take the company to a scale um, where I'm not able to run it, where we would need to get other more qualified people to run it, more experienced people to run it. Um, and that's uh, what we aim to do. Um, but again, yes, uh, it depends how well we grow ourselves at, as individuals uh, and how capable we are. Um, that's a very interesting question. Um, yeah, but in the starting out, we were all in about getting married to the company um, or looking at it from a long-term perspective and putting in those hours uh, that are required. Mm -hmm. Not just for a year, but it's been now four years and it, it is a lot of hard work. It's not being most of like you said. Um, so yeah, and I think that's what a lot of people jabber right now. And, I'm not sure if it should be that way, but somehow it ends up being that way if you want to scale a company. So. Mm -hmm. 
not sure it's ideal for everyone. Um, but yeah, if it works for you, then it's good. <laughs> yeah, and to be very honest, when we had when we had our previous conversation also, and you were sharing the numbers of um, the average income group in Pakistan. Uh, your challenges with uh, big organizations, I won't take the name right now, but like massive organizations from all around the world, those challenges also, those conversations, your first challenge is getting your foot in the door. The second challenge is actually continuing a conversation as well. And the third challenge is being able to walk out of that conversation or saying goodbye to that conversation as well. And in the space you're at, kudos to you for still, you know, like being in it and not giving up as well. That's, you know, that's commendable. If anything, working with government organizations in Pakistan is no joke. Uh, we've been lucky uh, and we've had a lot of great people supporting us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. It, we just made it happen somehow. Great. Awesome. Um, um, you were saying something, sorry. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. Sorry. So looking back at the past, uh, at, at day zero and to where we are today, uh, where do you see modulus tech five years from now? If you had asked me that three years ago, I, I wouldn't imagine we'd be here. Uh, and I hope that I can't imagine right now where we'd be in five years in a good way. <laughs> um, but we see ourselves spread out in various locations um, and being the pioneers in sustainable housing globally. Um, and we're on that track right now. So I think the future looks good. Right. All right. Great. And um, my final question to you is, Nabil, if you could go back in time and meet your younger self, what would you say to him? I would say keep doing the same things. Because <laughs> I, I wasn't very focused. Uh, well, I was more curious as a as a child and that got me interested that got me experiences in very different things and i think that really helps me now um more than getting those grades or um just being just working all the time uh just making friends i think that was great what i did and i think it's, it's what makes me this this way so i wouldn't change that yeah but what about you? What do you think? What would, what, what would have you told your younger self? Wow. <laughs> See, thank you for asking me. You're the 19th guest and finally someone <laughs> asked me. Um, I haven't thought about it. I think I would say pretty much the same thing is that uh, just trust the process and uh, go easy on yourself, I guess. You know? Yeah, perhaps have a bit more confidence that things are going to work out and just enjoy life and learn things really. Yeah, 100%. Everyone has their own stories and their own journeys to go through and and to experience. You know my brother, one of the biggest uh, quorums I had with him was he would try to um, tell me what to do and what not to do. And my answer would be, let me figure it out myself. Uh, And I think that's, (laughs) you know, I I value that even more, going through those experiences and those hardships by yourself, figuring it out. Definitely. I think what you're doing right now is quite, quite impressive. Thank you very much. Thank you. That's, yeah. Love to hear more on that in another episode. Yes. Maybe we could get some other people to interview you and we could hear your stories. Now you're just being too kind, man. You're going to make me blush on my own show right now. (laughs) No, but. uh, Last time you were mentioning what you're doing, and I think that's quite exciting. 
Thank you, man. Really appreciate it. Um, and thank you for taking out the time, man. This was a great conversation. Uh, super valuable. And um, do you have any final words that you'd like to share with anyone who's listening or watching? Uh, not really. Uh, if they've made it through so far, I'm sure. <laughs> so I cut this up. I so bear with really quite a lot. <laughs> if, if there's really yeah. some some goal that you like to share, I cut this up and I put this out there for everyone. You know. Um, I would just say that you know, just focus on what makes you happy and where you uh, where you find your own passion. And I think you make a positive impact in society if you're following your own heart. So, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Nabil, thank you so much for your time. Uh, this was a great conversation. For all those listening, uh, that was Nabil Siddiqui speaking on social entrepreneurship. Could we call Marginalist Tech in, as a yeah. company? Yeah, social entrepreneurship space? Yeah, awesome. Great. Um, I'm going to put Nabil's link uh, and his website link in the description as well. I've been following it for a very long time. I've been following Marginalist Tech and all of his interviews for a very long time. Uh, so it's great to see the journey you guys are at. More power to you and all the very best for whatever you guys set yourselves out to. Thank you, sir. Likewise, um, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for doing this and having me. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure. Till the next one, everybody. Take care. Bye-bye.